rules for leaders within Israel. So we've looked at rules for judges and the need for a basic system of justice, uh, rules for kings within Israel, and today we're looking at laws pertaining to priests and next time prophets. Uh, So Deuteronomy 18, verses 1 through 8. Let's uh, hear God's word this morning. The Levitical priests, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. And this shall be the priests due from the people, from those offering a sacrifice, whether an ox or a sheep. They shall give to the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach. The first fruits of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the first fleece of your sheep you shall give him. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons for all time. And if a Levite comes from any of your towns out of all Israel, where he lives, and he may come when he desires, to the place that the Lord will choose and ministers in the name of the Lord his God, like all his fellow Levites who stand to minister there before the Lord, then he may have equal portions to eat besides what he receives from the sale of his patrimony. What do you want most? What is your most treasured possession? If your house is going down in flames, what are you going to take out with you? We accumulate a lot of stuff over the course of our lifetimes, don't we? I've been learning more recently that with children, you accumulate a lot of stuff. And frankly, much of it is a bunch of junk. (laughs) But some possessions are important to us. And certainly many modern conveniences we would not easily part with. Things like refrigerators our smartphones, our cell phones, make life much more easy than it otherwise would be. But I don't think many of us here this morning, when we're asked the question, what's your most treasured possession, would uh, point to a household appliance. I don't think many of us are going to pick refrigerator as our most precious possession. I'm a little bit concerned that some might choose smartphones but I don't think most of us would. Because for something to be our most prized possession, there's a sense in which it not only belongs to us, but we belong to it. That was certainly the case with the Israelites regarding their land inheritance within Israel. It's how they felt about their portion within the promised land the allotment of land that was not only allocated to specific tribes, but then to specific families after the conquest of the land. The land was more than a mere possession. It was an ancestral inheritance out of which the people 
drew their livelihood and comfort and, and even more basic, their sense of belonging, their sense of identity. They belonged to it almost as much as it belonged to them. Just think about the story of Naboth's vineyard when King Ahab came and said, you know, sell, sell me your land, give me your land. And what was Naboth's instinctual reaction to that? It was, it would, it would essentially be an act of blasphemy to give up the land inheritance of his father's. And so it's hard to exaggerate, I think, how important this inherited land was, and it's hard to exaggerate how striking it therefore is that an entire tribe within Israel, a full tribe, the priestly tribe of Levi, received no land inheritance, no land allotment. There was no piece of land within Israel called Levi, like the other 11 tribes, no portion of land. But that's because they were given something even better. And the Levites were a lesson for all of God's people about the greatest inheritance of all. And so accordingly, I want us to consider this passage this morning in two parts. First, priestly rites. And second, priestly responsibilities. Priestly rights and priestly responsibilities. I think it's striking that here in Deuteronomy 18, when it comes to priests, the law is not primarily focused upon priestly responsibilities. Now, the law will have a lot to say about priestly responsibilities elsewhere in Exodus and Leviticus and of Numbers and, and within the book of Deuteronomy itself. But here in Deuteronomy 18, the primary focus is upon priestly rights. It's focused on the responsibility of God's people uh, to care for and provide and support the Levites because they were given no portion of land like the other 11 tribes of Israel. And so within Israel, under the Old Covenant, the Levitical priests were cared for, provided for, in a way that was entirely unique. Instead of possessing their own portion of land, verse 2 says that the Lord is their inheritance. Because of this special arrangement, it was the duty of the people to support the Levites who ministered before the Lord on their behalf and who taught them Torah, the two basic fundamental responsibilities of the priests. But this meant that the priestly tribe of Levi would either do really well or really poorly, depending upon the spiritual health of the nation. So on the one hand, you see, they, they occupied a privileged position. Whatever the people gave to God, God gave to the Levites. According to Moses, they were entitled to the Lord's portion, which was really the cream of the crop, the best of the best, the finest cuts of meat, the finest wine, the first fruits of everything in the promised land was their due from the people according to verse 3. 
So in other words, these provisions, they were not mere acts of charity. They were not favors bestowed at the discretion of wealthy benefactors. No, the best of the best was the legal right of the priestly tribe of Levi according to the law of Moses. They ate what Moses calls the Lord's food. And when the priests were not provided for then, God himself was being robbed, as we learn about in the book of the prophet Malachi. To, in other words, to neglect them was to neglect God. But as long as God's people were being obedient in this area of their giving, the priestly tribe of Levi, well, they would have been richly provided for. You could say they would have been fat and happy. So on the one hand, they enjoyed a privileged position. On the other hand, they were in a position that was incredibly precarious. It was precarious because they were completely dependent on the giving of others. Right? To be landless was by definition to be in a state of poverty under the old covenant era. To, to be landless, right, was to lack the means of production and industry. And perhaps that is why Moses commands the people to not forget the Levites along with the poor and the widows and the orphans within Israel. Deuteronomy 12, 19 says, Take care that you do not neglect the Levite as long as you live in your land. Deuteronomy 14, 27, You shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. So it was not only the Levites who were serving at the, what would later be revealed as the central sanctuary, but also the Levites scattered throughout Israel in various towns who were to be cared for by God's people. In this special position, the Levitical priests, this is what we need to appreciate, the Levitical priests served as model Israelites. They served as an example in at least two ways. They served as an example to all Israel in their dependence and in the gifts that they received. They were living, walking examples of what a life of faith looks like. And their way of life was an object lesson of living dependently on God and receiving the best of the best from his generous hand. So Levites served as an example for all Israelites to follow, which I think is exactly what we see being demonstrated in Psalm 16. So I had us sing Psalm 16 a few moments ago. In Psalm 16, David says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Now that was literally true of the Levitical priests who didn't have any land inheritance within Israel. And think about this, even though David belonged to the, the royal tribe of Judah, which could really boast of the best real estate within all of the promised land, the place where the central sanctuary would be set up, what does David say? He, he prefers the priestly portion. 
He chooses the priestly portion. He claims a distinctly Levitical inheritance in verses 5 and 6 when he says, listen closely, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. The Lord's my inheritance. He goes on to say, you hold uh, my lot. Now that term refers to a territorial inheritance. He says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You see what he's saying? He's claiming priestly rights. And he's looking beyond the, the boundaries of a physical inheritance of land within the tribe of Judah to the beautiful inheritance of God himself. And he's saying the, the borders of my life are beautiful. The borders of my life are beautiful because the Lord is my lot. Now, these are the words of Israel's Messiah, which means they are, in their fullest meaning, the words of Christ himself. And, and that means that in union with Jesus Christ, we can take these words upon our own lips. We are co-heirs with Christ, and we have been given the first and the finest of all things, which is no mere earthly thing. For everything belongs to Christ, belongs to us by grace through faith. See, in Christ, we can, we can think about this, we can even use personal possessive pronouns like my to refer to God. That's something we're so accustomed to hearing that we don't often think about it as deeply as we should, so we should slow down for a minute and think about the significance of being able to use personal possessive pronouns and say with the psalmist, the Lord is my cup, 16 verse 5, my rock, 18 verse 2, my shepherd, Psalm 23, my light, Psalm 27, my salvation, my portion, Psalm 73, verse 23, my fortress, Psalm 91, my song and my praise. Keep going. As you can see, those, 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 we, we can use those words because in Christ, all true believers can claim a priestly portion. We can claim the Lord is my inheritance. And in Jesus, the lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. And in him, we have a beautiful inheritance. You see, to be in Christ is to be restored to our original vocation as image bearers and to Israel's calling, which is stated in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, to be a kingdom of priests. There is a sense in which the whole nation of Israel was called to be a kingdom of priests. And so the, the Levites were an object lesson for the entire nation of what the nation as a whole was called to be. That's what we learned just before the giving of the Ten Commandments, before the Ten Words in Exodus 20. We're told in Exodus 19 that the Israelites were a kingdom of priests 
and a holy nation. And the Apostle Peter takes up this exact language to describe the church made up of Jews and Gentiles scattered throughout the world when he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. See, in Christ, we all have an inheritance, as Peter puts it, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading because our inheritance is God himself and with him all things. And yet here's the thing. Here's the thing I want us to reflect on for a few moments together this morning. Anyone who truly gets this, the the distinguishing mark of anyone who really gets this, the distinguishing mark of those who understand the awesome inheritance that we possess in Jesus Christ, the distinguishing mark of such believers is that they do not insist upon their rights. Do not insist upon their own rights. We learn this from Jesus. Do you remember the story in John's gospel, the start of the upper room discourse in chapter 13, right before Jesus puts a towel around his waist and picks up the the basin of water, John tells us that Jesus knew that the Father was giving all things to him and that Jesus was returning to God. He was returning to his Father. Ask yourself the question, okay, what does Jesus do when he knows everything is being given to him and he is about to return to God? What does he do? He assumes the role of a servant. He takes the role of a household slave. He puts a towel around his waist and he washes his disciples' feet. Same pattern we find in Philippians chapter 2. The name above all names belongs to the one who did not insist upon his divine rights but took the form of a servant and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so you see, those who have, as Paul puts it in Philippians 2, the mind of Christ are those who do not insist upon their rights. They serve. They wash feet. They count the needs of others more important than their own. And so I think a question worth asking us of ourselves is how about us as a kingdom of priests understanding that in Christ all things are yours and with Jesus you are you are going to God so what does that mean for us practically in our daily lives right now it means that you have been set free to serve you have been set free to serve we got to go we got to go to 1 Corinthians 9 for a moment to see what Paul does because Paul appeals to the main point that is being made here in Deuteronomy 18 about priestly rights to draw a comparison between the Old Testament priesthood and, and to the rights of ministers of the gospel under the new covenant. Now nowhere in the New Testament are pastors called 
priests. The only priests we have in the New Testament are Jesus himself and the corporate people of God who are called a kingdom of priests or a royal priesthood. Nonetheless, there is this parallel that Paul draws between Old Testament priests and New Testament ministers in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. He says, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temples? He sees appealing to the, the Old Testament Levitical order. And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. Now, verse 14, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And Paul teaches the same principle in Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. See what Paul's doing. He's appealing to the Levitical priesthood to talk about the responsibility the church has to New Testament ministers of the gospel. So simply put, gospel ministry is real work, and so the ministers of the gospel ought to be compensated in a way that parallels the generous provisions as a legal right to the Levites under the Old Covenant. Righteousness requires generous provision. And yet, and yet, what does Paul do in 1 Corinthians 9? He doesn't stop there. In fact, that's not even his main point. He makes that point and that connection to make the point that he really wants to make, which which comes in verse 15 with the word but. He says, he has this right, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision For I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. You see what Paul's saying? You see what he's doing? Although Paul had rights, real rights, as a minister of the gospel, he did not make use of those rights. He did not claim them. They're real rights, but he voluntarily gave them up when he saw that exercising them would diminish the far greater joy of his true treasure which is nothing less than the good news of Jesus himself. This is his true treasure. And Paul teaches all believers in their own lives in different ways to think and live like this. In Romans 15, he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And get this, to not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. You could ask the question, why, Paul? Why should Christians live that way? And Paul's answer is, for Christ did not please himself. Talk about an understatement, (laughs) right? When you consider the life and cross of Christ, it is a massive understatement to say that Christ 
didn't live to please himself. But you see, is what Paul is saying is Christ has established the pattern that we are called to conform our lives to. So Christians do not live to please themselves. They live to please others for their good. And if necessary, they are ready to make no use of their rights for the sake of the gospel. Now, I think it's, I think it's right to say that we live in a country that is deeply concerned about individual rights. Americans care a lot about rights. And in many ways, I'm very, very thankful for that. There are many places in the world which just don't care about rights, which deny basic human rights. Real rights ought to be honored. But I think we should say this, as we live in a culture that is basically obsessed with individual rights, we need to remember that we follow Jesus who chose to serve even when it meant making no use of his rights. He lived and died for the good of others. And in a society that is insistent on personal rights and personal privileges, I think one of the ways that the church's witness will stand out in the world is when a community of believers is committed to living this way. People who do not live to please themselves, but who live to please others for their good. Although this passage uh, is primarily concerned here in Deuteronomy 18 with priestly rites of the tribe of uh, Levi, it also has something important, I think, to teach us about our priestly responsibilities as the people of God. I want to think about that for a few moments together as well. Uh, to get at this, ask the question, why did God choose the tribe of Levi to enjoy this unique privilege of possessing God as their inheritance, as their portion? Why did he choose them? Well, at least a partial answer is given in verse 5, which says, For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons for all time. Now, the Levitical priests fulfilled all kinds of different actions and responsibilities in Israel. They, they served, we've already seen, they served as judges in difficult cases referred up to the central sanctuary. They served as kind of legal scholars who approved the copy of the Torah written out by the hand of the king, which he was supposed to study every day of his life. Uh, they led in liturgical worship. They distinguished between clean and unclean. They pronounced blessings upon God's people. They read the law. They were responsible for teaching the law to God's people. And those are just some of the responsibilities mentioned here in the book of Deuteronomy. There's a lot more we could find in Exodus and Leviticus and the book of Numbers. So there's lots of different things they were called to do. But here in Deuteronomy 18... The responsibilities of the Levitical priests are summarized much more simply in terms of belonging to God and ministering in his name. That's how it's summed up. Belonging and ministering. You see that. Notice, notice that a priest is first and foremost to be chosen by God. He is to be chosen. As Moses says, the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes. 
And again, it's, it's fascinating that this is precisely what the Apostle Peter emphasizes right as he's talking about the church as a royal priesthood. He says that you, referring to the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. What about that last part? God's own possession. Those who have God as their inheritance belong to God. Do you see what I was saying at the beginning when we got started? That our greatest treasure isn't just something that belongs to us. It's someone we belong to. God is the greatest possible inheritance. And in Christ, we are a people for God's own possession, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, and what does Peter say? So that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, just as an aside, this is just an aside, I want you to notice Peter's emphasis on the corporate nature of God's people as he's describing the church of Jesus Christ. We're not identified here individually, but as part of a corporate people. And I I think this needs emphasis in our day because of the rampant individualism that exists in our culture and even within Christian circles, which leads people to say, look, I don't, I don't need to belong to the church or identify with a, a group of, of Christians to be a follower of Jesus. I can, I can do it on my own. No, 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 no. This is a corporate identity and a call to faithfulness within community to live as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who belong to God because that is what the church of Jesus Christ is. The church belongs to God. Beloved, we belong to God. Don't miss the responsibility that flows from that. All of our responsibility as a church flows out of the gift of our belonging. It flows out of the fact that we belong to God. God had given himself to the Levitical priests as their portion and inheritance, and therefore their primary responsibility was to serve and bear witness to the Lord, to bear witness to this gift of belonging to God as his own possession. And so in all of their lives, in everything they said and did, the priests served to proclaim the greatness of God who calls his people out of darkness into light. And that's our responsibility too. That's what Peter's point is in 1 Peter chapter 2. Our responsibility as a royal priesthood is to bear witness to the one to whom we belong. And so go back to the question I asked at the start. What do you want most? What is your most treasured possession? You actually don't need to answer that question in words because your life answers that question, doesn't it? Your life answers that question without speaking a word. I want to appeal to you this morning 
brothers and sisters in Christ, to not be possessed by anything less than God, who is your life. The one who has all life and glory and blessedness in and of himself. He is alone and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in need of any creature which he has made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his glory in, by, unto, and upon them. Don't you love that statement from the Westminster Confession of Faith? Those are the most beautiful, pleasant, and happy boundary lines that you could ever possibly imagine. They're limitless and infinitely full of joy. We belong to the one who has all blessedness in and of himself. And he belongs to us. He is our God. So the logic of the gospel works this way because you belong to him. Therefore present your bodies as a living sacrifice to him. This is your priestly service. The sorrows of those who serve other gods will multiply. Maybe you're experiencing that right now in your life. Multiplying sorrows because you have gone after other gods who will always break the hearts of their worshipers, as C.S. Lewis put it. Idols always break the hearts of their worshipers. Set your heart on the one you cannot lose because he will never let you go and because he will never let you down. Even if this treasure in this life is enjoyed through poverty and shame, beloved, there will be everlasting joy, pleasures forevermore. Let's pray together. Our Father, In heaven, we give you praise and thanks for the Lord Jesus who who gave up his rights so that he might claim us worthless though we are in and of ourselves and to be his glory, his treasured possession. We give you praise for all the saints who have lived as royal priests and have proclaimed in word and deed the excellencies of your name down through the centuries. We pray that you would help us to be a people as families and as a church to treasure you in a way that makes visible the glories of the kingdom of heaven to the glory of your name. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name, the name above all names. Amen.